What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now, there's a there's an issue with Reddit. There's a lawsuit. Reddit says that it was because I attempted to monetize the community. I attempted to take control of my own brand, Wall Street Bets, which was flourishing all over the place. I'd written a book. Um, I was uh, in the process of launching this kind of a stock trading gamified competition. And all of my efforts to monetize or everybody else's were perfectly fine up until I submitted my trademark request. And then all of a sudden, I get removed from the subreddit. Reddit's like, oh, that's a really cool community. I like it. And just go to the trademark office and like, we'll go ahead and take that now. Thank you very much. And then they just register. Now it's their intellectual property. So it's just really confusing to me because it's like, hold on a second. So now not, not only do you want me to read your terms of service, now you want me to freaking have a law degree? And I'll be up there with Jordan Belfort and with uh, Raul Paul, Anthony Scaramucci. These are heavy hitters in the financial world that were all in the documentary in large part. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with Jamie Rogozinski. He is the founder of Wall Street Bet, and there's some interesting new stuff going on. And so check out the video. I, I know that sounds horrible, right? I know that was not. It's sad. That was actually pretty good for a first take. Yeah, it's silly. I, I'm not, you know, and then listen, like I said, you've already been, you've already witnessed me in action. So nobody, nobody watches this channel thinking they're dealing with a professional. Um, so, you know, I don't even try. I don't even say if I mess it up, I just keep going. You know what? People actually appreciate like just a good old fashioned unpolished sincerity. Nowadays, it's almost rewarded. Yeah, so far it's worked working for me. So, yeah. all right. So, like I I had said, you know, before we started, what that I've you know I've watched a few videos, and I remember when this was kind of all happening. Like I I remember hearing bits and pieces of it, but I don't. You know, I always joke around. People ask me, they ask me about real estate, or they'll, or they'll ask me about some some things that I don't know anything about, and it's like you know I don't talk about that. Like I don't, and I always use the example like. I don't talk about the stock market because I don't know anything about the stock market. So, you know, there's certain things I just don't talk anything about. And this would be one of those things. But so I was hearing bits and pieces of it. I do know what a short, you know, I know what a short sale is um, in real estate, but I know what, you know, shorting stock, I know the basics of it. And I know what a pump and dump scheme is. And I know what, you know, there's, there's all these stock 
guys in prison that you meet that have done certain things. So, you know, I know some basics of what's going on. Not that this was criminal, but when you listen to, you know, when I've listened to podcasts about it, and I'm only listening to a couple, you know, it almost sounds criminal. Like, what does it make like I was listening? I was like, that just, I know that's legal, but it just doesn't sound right that, that when they were driving the prices, you know, they're driving the prices down or they're driving the prices up. And so, can you kind of go through it and just explain to me what? You know, give me yeah, just, to, just in case I, I forget to touch on that comment. I think that while GameStop was taking place, a lot of people were actually wondering. I don't know if criminal is the right word, but whether there were any kind of regulatory infractions, right? Like whether whether things were being done correctly uh, as, far, as far as the regulators are concerned. And I remember seeing debates on TV saying like, is this a lot? Because like there's no, there was no overt law breaking per se. Uh, there are certain things that are straight up considered illegal and those laws uh, or regulations are really like clear. But in this particular case, when people were just honest, you know, when, when you lie, for example, about your intentions with the stock, when you mislead, when you're fraudulent, they'll be like, yeah, buy this investment because it's the best and you're lying. Right. That's against the law, right? But if you say buy this because we wanted to go to the moon, right? Like we're not saying that the GameStop is a good investment, but we want to kill the hedge funds, right? Like that's why you should buy. Like they're not lying. And so they're being brutally honest. And so therefore... So I, you know, as far as I know, no, there, there was no, nobody got in trouble for that. So, uh, so anyways, but yeah, I can, I can walk back just, I'll, and I'll even rewind to slightly before, uh, GameStop itself put Wall Street bets on the map for people that weren't, uh, familiar before, uh, GameStop, right? Like that put, that made it more of a household name. Uh, even to people that weren't following finance things. So Wall, Wall Street Bets is a community of retail or amateur investors that don't mind taking higher risk trades, right? Like they, they use just really unsophisticated language, although their methods are very sophisticated uh, for taking really high risk, high return type trades. And, you know, they collaborate together. They just crowdsource ideas. They're looking for just opportunities where collectively they have some type of an advantage. Historically speaking, it, you know, historically speaking, it's up to investment banks to say, okay, we're going to pay these PhD geniuses that do analysis or quantitative computers, you know, or co-locations like they, they'll, they'll physically buy computers and they'll put them next to the, the stock exchanges. So that, like the messages uh, are transferred really fast. And so they can buy the stocks quicker than the rest of the people that are further uh, but, but people that are sitting at home using their cell phone to trade, they, they don't have that advantage, but it turns out they have other advantages and they just enjoy having fun and they use language revolving around the, the risk and gambling and just enjoying. And it started right after the, or not right after, but uh, shortly after the uh, financial crisis where big banks were being lambasted for treating Wall Street like a casino. And so it was like, how dare you, you do this with our mortgages and how dare you are irresponsible with our retirement funds. And, uh, and I think there was a sentiment among younger people, including myself, uh, where I said, well, if the, the banks can do it, then then we should be able to do it too. If they can be irresponsible, then th nothing's to stop us from actually doing it too, with the hopes of maybe hitting it big, right? Like hitting a home run and then we can also get rich too, right? So that's, that's where Wall Street bets is, and it's exploded. There's obviously a lot of people that were like-minded, and, and uh, you know, the years prior to, to GameStop, there had been a lot of really high-profile, really interesting things that, that had taken place. But mostly, uh, whenever Wall Street bets made the news, it was CNBC or Bloomberg, right? It was just finance-related uh, outlets. And then GameStop came around. Uh, GameStop was interesting because it was kind of like this. Um, before we get into that i was going to say first like when did you you started it just after the financial or after 2008 financial 12. crisis 12 correct yeah, after the 2008 financial crisis uh, but in the middle of uh, it yeah yeah i'd lost my job you know a lot of things but in 2012 after i'd gotten a new job and uh, things were starting to stabilize again and i had disposable income with which i could be responsible with in 2012 is when i started so you went on it off you started what, Reddit? 
I started, I, yeah, I went on Reddit and then I started, and I also started a Twitter account. I bought a couple of domains. I had the, the Google account, you know, where they give you like the Gmail and the YouTube, or whatever it is. So uh, forget all, all the properties that I ended up getting on social media. And, uh, and it's just this omnipresent, it's just the online community, right? It's just this, this philosophy, this brand, this way of thinking. And currently Wall Street Bets exists the largest the largest community is currently on Reddit, but you have them on Discord and you have them on Telegram and on TikTok and Instagram. And then you have like almost like offshoots of it, right? Where you have like Wall Street, Silver, Satoshi Street Bets, Korea Street Bet, you know, like different geographic or asset classes or whatever it might be. Uh, but all of them kind of sing to the same to the same tune. So they get together and they kind of say, hey, this is happening here just heard about this. This is what's going on here. This is a great company. This company is having issues. My understanding is that sort of thing or. Yeah, but even more like even more jokey, right? So if you can imagine, it's like the anti-Wall Street. If you can imagine uh, an analyst commenting on, let's say Jerome Powell, who's the head of the Federal Reserve, he sets interest rates and monetary policy related stuff. He gets up there and uses really big words. Right. And says, well, we need to combat inflation according to this thing with the interest rate so that the, you know, blah, 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 and unemployment rate. And just, you know, it just throws jargon out there. And then you have the analysts that go on television afterwards and they pull out their Excel sheet and they're like, we're, we're using all sorts of different like ways to discount the future of cash flow. And then today's time value of money, you know, and they're just jargon. Right. And so Wall Street Best is going to take like the, uh, almost to make fun of it, but but not, right? They're going to turn that same speech into a meme, right? Which is like, Jerome Powell makes stocks go down, right? By making interest go up, which is really the same freaking thing. You don't need to have words that are so many syllables to say stocks go down when interest goes up. Right. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's by design sometimes, right? There's like a whole chain reaction of logic that takes place in there. You can actually convey that entire 30 minute segment with like a picture and a really, really poorly spelled out like caption on it, right? And that'll actually make you laugh. So, so that's what Wall Street Bets does. It'll simplify the same concepts. And so now you're understanding that same analysis of whatever news just took place. Uh, and, and it's almost like this way for people to you know, make fun of themselves, make fun of other people, but also point out opportunities, right? You'll have, you have people that'll, that'll say, Hey guys, check this out. This thing is happening over here. I believe that if we do this, that, and the other, and then other people will jump on top and say, nah, that's a really stupid idea, or that's a really great idea. Uh, and then other people say, Hey, I'm just going to buy, you know, the stock because I, you know, I like the car. I just bought a car and I like it. So I bought the stock. The car is really fast. You know, it's some really non-sophisticated investment idea, but people just cheer this person on, right? Maybe sometimes they accidentally make money. Uh, and sometimes they will make an investment, but then like other people will pour in with actual fundamental analysis and say, well, maybe you bought it for the wrong reasons, but check this out, right? They're about to do a merger with whatever, or open a plant over here and, you know, like, and just, you have this collaboration of, of sophisticated financial analysis dressed up as unsophisticated apes that are just kind of butting heads. Right. Okay. All right. And that, and that just, so that's the community and it yep. just, I mean, how does that progress into, you know, the whole GameStop thing? Like if you it wasn't just a bunch of guys talking, they, they end up buying, they end up buying the stock and they end up, you know, I guess several of these hedge funds went under and, you know, and these guys are losing tons of money and, you know, obviously they're buying it for the wrong reason. Well, then it's not illegal. So it's not the wrong reason. They're buying it to make money for their stockholders. I get it. So, but you guys come in and, and, and that ends up becoming like this huge movement. Yeah, I mean, like short sellers, they serve a productive purpose, right? Like they they have, you know, th there's a solid argument to to make to say short sellers sometimes identify inefficiencies in the market. Like just the market itself is a productive activity, right? Like if you think about the fact that a market gives you the price of a stock because a lot of people agree on that price, and that tells you something about stuff, right? Like such as 
there's a reason why nobody's buying this company right now, right? Somebody knows something, and yeah. therefore we shouldn't touch it, right? Somebody did the research. So, so short overall, sellers emphasis, it's a bad company, yeah. or it's, and, and, and sometimes short sellers go out there and find out, hey, like you know, there's uh, the, this company is just realizing that this. I don't know, a wire card right now is, is you know, an example that comes to mind where they just did their own, I forget what their actual fraud was, but like, I think they faked their own transactions or they just did wash transactions or something. You know, they were laundering money basically for the mafia, I think. Um, and so if you have a company like that that's about to go public, yeah, you want to short sell a company like that because you don't want no ordinary investors to get caught up with losing money. Thanks to short sellers, they expose these things. So that's, you know, that, that, Overall, they, they don't serve a bad purpose, but sometimes they get a bad rap, right? And in this particular case, um, I don't think that short sellers were necessarily exposing fraud. They just struck a nerve. So I think what happens with, with GameStop is you have this perfect storm of things that happen. A lot of stuff had to happen perfectly in order for it to take place. So we have uh, this this designated meme stock. This is a new phenomenon that... that uh, exists nowadays right these are stocks that everybody all the retail people are just clamoring over they just really enjoy this stock because it's popular it's gone viral everyone's buying it everyone's excited about it these meme stocks usually have to have some component that makes it a tangible emotional connection to it it's like look i i get it brick and mortar's over coronavirus nobody's going to the mall you can now download games. You no longer have to use a disc to put it inside of the console. It's just on the computer, you know, like, so, but it's like, I, when I grow up, I used to have Tetris and I had to put the cartridge in the thing, you know? And so I remembered these memories. So my, like, I have this, this, this emotional attachment to this thing. So I'm not going to allow this company to go down because I'll, I'll be sad, right? Nothing to do with a smart investment decision. It's, a, it's an emotional thing of saying, why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand don't want this company to go under right and then there, then you had the certain players that were actually making the fun you know mainly uh, keith gill or deep fucking value or uh, rory and kitty it's the same person that uh very very enthusiastic individual intelligent uh had a youtube channel was actually throwing in fundamental analysis saying hey guys like i've done the math this company's good I'm going to do a YOLO bet, right? And you throw $50,000 into these relatively risky stock options. So everyone's like, look at this crazy dude. He's just throwing a ton of freaking money with this really dangerously risky derivatives play. Like just, you know, I won't walk you through that. Uh, but it's leverage. It just means that if GameStop were to go up 10%, he might be able to make, I don't know, 50%, right? Like it's, it's uh, one of the features of, uh, this and so, and, and all of a sudden, there's chatter that's taking place, and all of a sudden, you have validation by people like Ryan Cohn, who's just this person who's historically gone in there and shaken up companies. He rescues them. He buys, you know, he does these corporate takeovers where he buys large percentages of the stocks, and he moves the, the you know, the, the board of directors around. I think he ended up getting a seat on the board of directors, right? And then all of a sudden they exposed some short sellers and the short sellers started going on YouTube, making videos, antagonizing Wall Street bets. And there's nothing better than to antagonize, like to have this public war because now you have an adversary with which you can try and defeat, right? Nobody loves, uh, like everybody loves a good war of saying, aha, it's going to be you, Mr. Andrew Left or Gabe Plotkin or whatever, you know, these, these got a name and a last name and a picture with which I can make memes with, right? And, uh, 
And so now you have good guys and bad guys, and you have this uh, uh, potential money-making opportunity. And then you have this this component where this a technical component where uh, so, so so I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So th- these are all kind of the, the social components, right? Then you have the technical component. You have a stock that is likely to go down because uh, GameStop is a bad investment at the time. Nobody's going to the stores to buy these games. You have a lot of hedge funds that were short selling, meaning they were betting that it was going to go down, but they were very, very heavily short selling it, making it vulnerable to a, to a certain type of maneuver called a short squeeze. Uh, so then you have the Wall Street bets community turning it into a meme stock, making them irrationally excited about a stock which doesn't have a fundamental reason to go up other than the fact that they're happy. Uh, and now they have an adversary because if the stock goes up, the people that were betting against it are going to lose money. Uh, and then there's some more technical capacities behind that, that they fine-tuned certain maneuvers with stock options and i won't really get into that but it's very sophisticated uh uh, they don't have that much money to push stock prices around right even if you say yeah i know that there's 10 million of you but that's still not enough money even if all of 10 million of you have like whatever 100 bucks in your account like uh it's still not enough they use these these stock options in a certain way that they're able to to leverage it right and and this is a practice technique that they had worked on for the past couple of years. So they're like, yeah, but we know this little cheat code. And so they were just turning up the screws and they ended up making the price of, of GameStop go from like, I forget what it was from $40 a share. to like $450 a share in a matter of days, uh, essentially forcing all the short sellers out of their, their short position. They had lost tremendous amounts of money, billions of dollars and lots of them had to close their doors. Uh, and it was this really special moment because you had this narrative and now I get to kind of close the circle of having started wall street bets at the heels of the financial crisis where there was this level of resent or anger or, uh, just, just a bad taste in the, the idea where you had this. Occupy Wall Street movement where they're saying, hey, the 99% and the 1% and inequality. And, um, and so just nothing happened from that. There was no, never any closure. The, the, the Wall Street, the Occupy Wall Streeters went home after a few years. You know, just no, no, I don't remember anything substantive ever taking place. And so I think there's a lot of those feelings ended up resurfacing, right? They're like, I am still mad about what happened back then. And I think the news and the entertainment industry. And I think people, even that weren't in the U S uh, that weren't involved with the wall street, with the American stock exchange, but they were affected by the financial crisis. were like, hell yeah, damn right. Like, you know, I'm not going to buy stocks or whatever, but I'm happy that the 99% that, the, you know, that the, these little Davids got together against the Goliath and we're actually able to teach them a lesson, right? Like, cause wall street has been painted as this, this bad, uh, you know, irresponsible actor that, that, that was never held accountable. And all of a sudden it's like, there is a way to kind of put a chink in their armor. And obviously there wasn't this grand war that was defeated. Wall street didn't go away, nor do I think that would be a good thing anyways, but it was a really good, it was a feel good story where at least there was a good punch that was returned and, uh, and, and wall street had to take notice that the little guys can also, um, get together and, 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 you know, fight back if, if it's done properly. So that, that was the GameStop, uh, uh, event or saga or moment. Um, all right. So when this whole thing kind of subsided, right. And it, it, you know, uh, everything kind of, I guess, you know, there was an equal equilibrium kind of uh, applied to it and everything kind of went back to normal. Then, like, what 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 happened after that with you? Like, it, you know, as far as you were, you know, you were in the, the center of this, you know, this interesting, you know, I don't know what, you know, like you said, saga. So what happened, you know, were you approached by... You were approached by some people to do uh, 
a documentary, a, a, a movie, um, write your, your book, write a book, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. So, you know, there, there, uh, I wouldn't say that I was in the center of it. There, there had been a lot of things throughout the years that has been, have been interesting on wall street bets. Uh, and I've never really claimed to take credit for manufacturing any of them, including, uh, GameStop, right? Like the, the beauty of crowdsourcing these, uh, these moments like that, but there is collective, there is strength in collective intelligence and there is strength in, in, uh, you know, crowdsourcing these ideas. And it's always just been a combination of ingenuity from various different peoples and meeting the right timing and the right opportunity and the right betting and platform system. So I don't, uh, I don't ever pretend to take credit for it. And as specifically with GameStop, by the time that GameStop took place, I was no longer on, uh, Reddit on the subreddit, uh, itself. So I wasn't participating on that forum per se, you know, I'd written a book already, uh, published in 2020. I'd, uh, done all sorts of other things regarding this but i i was approached for movie rights like i'm still the creator of this philosophy this mindset this community or these communities right um and and still viewed as the thought leader behind this movement and and uh definitely got a lot of attention for uh for what took place i'd i'd say the person who got the most amount of attention for GameStop was uh, Keith Gill. And this, this would have been the guy with the YouTube video who said, I'm going to take 50 grand right? and I'm going to put it all on GameStop. I mean, he ended up making like, I don't know what he walked away with, but his, his bet at the highest level was like $50 million. I think he cashed it out closer to 30 million. So, you know, he was, he was the hero of that story. Um, and he was the face of it cause he was just the champion where he says, I'm not selling this thing. And he was this charismatic guy that people at first, when he was losing money, they were just bashing him because his idea was dumb. And then he stuck to his guns and all of a sudden he started making money. And then people started bashing him again because he's not taking profits off the table. Right. And then he just said, I'm not, I'm not selling. Right. I'm just diamond hands. And all of a sudden, when you take a $50,000 bet, he turned it into a five million dollar bet. It takes a tremendous amount of a lot of things like stamina and and discipline and you know to knock it in. Yeah, to knock it. You know, to turn that into ten million, to fifteen million, to twenty, to thirty. So, so he he's the one that really deserves uh, the credit for that particular moment. But yeah, um, I was, you know, I was approached. It was it was definitely. <laughs> Uh, an interesting moment because I started getting calls from, um, you know, at first kind of just these people that said, oh, I'm a producer and I worked on some such and such film or, and I was like a, kind of starstruck because I Googled them and they were like, never heard of them, right? Never heard of the movie, but like I'd connect six degrees of separation and they were like loosely affiliated with some movie that maybe I'd heard of. Uh, and then eventually I'd start fielding calls from people that were, you know, uh, working on stuff that I definitely was impressed with. I was like, holy cow, I just got off the phone with, you know, the, the guy that wrote, I forget what it was, like The Sopranos or, you know, and then I was the guys that, that worked on The Wolf of Wall Street. And then the, uh, I was on the phone at one point with Ben Mesrick, uh, who also ended up writing a book on this this topic. And so soon enough, I was like, all right, okay. Uh, how does this game work? Because there's authors and directors and producers and everyone seems to be, everyone wants to make a movie about this thing and everyone seems to be the right person to make right. a deal with. Right. And so I had, I had to get a really quick lesson on how the Hollywood, uh, Hollywood works. And it's actually kind of, kind of fun because the one, the one thing that everybody agreed on from who I was speaking with, they said, look, you know, let me tell you how Hollywood works. It's when, when you have a situation like this, people try and race and put a team together, right? And they'll say, okay, well, you have, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, and Leonardo DiCaprio and this whatever author, and you get the team together. And then they say, yeah, we've all decided to do this thing together. And then they announce it to the world and they 
plant this proverbial flag on the ground and and all of a sudden everybody else that was trying to race put something together they all kind of back off and be like god damn it they got DiCaprio or they got right. there's no way we could do two movies not especially not with that freaking team and so everyone backs away and starts looking for some other movie idea because usually like movies you can only have one movie sometimes you can get up to two movies if the topic is good enough uh and so I, so I was in the middle of this race and talking to all these different people and uh you know, and, and, and eventually I ended up signing this deal with Rat Pack, which was the was a production studio that works on like X-Men and a bunch of other of these movies. And, and it was useful because the, the other thing that I understood is uh, if you're working with the producers, sorry, with the directors and the writers and the actors, none of those people have the money. The, the studios have the money, right? Right. And so that's how you know that the movie gets made. All the other ones are just kind of crossing their fingers. And so it's like, well, Rat Pack has the money so that they'll definitely make that movie. Um, otherwise, you just kind of sign your life rights and then you don't get it. So I signed with them and we plant the full pole on the ground. We're like, aha, we're making this movie. <laughs> that, so that, no, that'll stop everybody else. That should stop everybody oh, else in their okay. tracks because... It's Rat Pack, and it's and they've got like the founder of Wall Street Bets, and it's got you know big names behind this thing. And next thing you know, I'll flip it through Twitter, and I'm like, oh, Netflix is going to do one too. Okay, well, uh, whatever. Not quite the same thing. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's like Ben Mesrick, who had been on the phone with before, like, damn it, Ben Mesrick sold it too. There's three of them coming out, and the next thing you know, four and five, and say, and then Hulu and HBO, like freaking nine different movies on this one. Like, okay, I guess uh, people really either really love this story and they think that it's worth having that many of them or they're out of stuff to do because of, you know, we were just just getting out of the pandemic. I mean, this was in January of 2021. So, you know, almost still 2020. Uh, and so everyone was just dying for a story that was not about putting on a face mask or... Uh, I, <laughs> but the more out of the house, the more similar content or stories that are out there, the less likely that yours gets picked up. Because they're all, oh, they all get picked. They all get picked up. They just get diluted, I suppose. Right. right. So you just need to find a way to differentiate it. Um, it's it's a matter of of saying, all right, well, that's fine that they're all going to cover GameStop, but how do you make it? So that this one is unique, and, right? You know, and I've seen. I haven't seen all the ones that have come out. I've seen uh, several of them, and there is a ton of overlap, right? They're, they're having to cover, and I've seen this fr from everyone, including um, with my own documentary when they were going through the learning process. It's a complicated concept, and when you want to try and translate all the pieces into into a um, entertainment, you know, one two hour film. You have to you have to walk the audience through a story, and you have to spoon feed them the fundamentals to be able so that they can appreciate the the, the nuance later on. Uh, and in the end, they all end up kind of gravitating towards a very similar storyline, uh, and and so they end up having really similar stuff. And so I think what it differentiates the current movies is like who they were able to interview, right? Cause they're all documentaries up to now. There, there hasn't been any nonfiction. I know that there's one, sorry, nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, there's only one, uh, non-documentary that's being worked on that I know of right now. Every other one has been a documentary. So it's a matter of who they get to interview and what kind of perspectives they get. Um, with me, they get the benefit of having true inside information with regards to how things work behind the scenes, right? right. Everyone else has to rely on newspaper clippings and stuff. Um, and they get, they get access to, to some of the best. You're also the, uh, you also are able to give them the origins of the, yeah. You know, it's someone else telling that part of the story. Yeah, and 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 I have access to the to to, to all, all the, 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 the the yeah all the people that are correct. like the people that are you know we're, we're gonna we're actually going to uh, the premiere this weekend at South by Southwest. I'm flying out tomorrow, and I just got my um, what do you call it scheduled for right after the premiere. There's a Q and A 
and I'll be up there with Jordan Belfort and with uh, Raul Paul and with uh, Anthony Scaramucci and I forget like right. But these are these are heavy hitters in the financial world that were all in the documentary in large part um, because it's Rat, Rat Pack and, and and many of the other ones in large part because it was me that was on there. And so you have. Uh, you have very relevant players that are either talking on on the side from Wall Street bets or talking on the side of Wall Street or on the side on the perspective of either government or social, depending on on on, on how they're talking about it. So, but 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 nevertheless, I mean, the, the point of this having eight different movies wasn't necessarily to uh, try and show off. Might it was the fact that this incident was such a big moment that resonated uh so well around the world that there was enough demand that movies said let's take a chance let's actually go out there and make a movie and spend money on it i know there's six other ones out there and i know that somebody's already signed with that guy but let's go ahead and spend money on the seventh one right that's a risk that the financial risk that they have to take in hopes uh that there will be enough demand given the saturated market that someone's going to say, yeah, I'll actually watch this one on this channel, even if I've already been exposed to the other ones. Uh, and it's true. Like I ended up getting messages from so many people around the world. Uh, and I think that's what I found really interesting is half the messages that I got from people of support or whatever, like were from the U S but the other half were from people elsewhere in the world. Like, you know, my, my favorite message, I will never forget it to this day. was some taxi cab driver in Spain. And he said to me, dude, I don't understand anything about anything when it comes to stocks or the stock market or finance. I don't get what it is that you guys are doing, but I think it's awesome. Like you guys just keep sticking it to the man and I love it. Right. Like he, all he understood was that the little guys were fighting back against the banks. Right. And he just, it warmed his heart. Right. And like, He's a taxi cab driver halfway around the world that doesn't know anything. And he was happy for, for this movement. And that's, I think that was cool on that, that, that has nothing to do with finance. That has like this, just heartwarming, I don't know, empowerment, this feeling of empowerment that, that everyone could relate with. Okay. So what, where, I mean, what's happening now, what's happening with you now? There's a, there's an issue with Reddit. There's a lawsuit. There's what's no. Yeah. So, um, so there is, I, uh, th there's kind of this side story that's been going on. I, um, ended up getting removed as a moderator, as the head moderator from Reddit in 20, in 2020, like I said, before GameStop took place. Um, and this was, uh, why did that go? Why did that happen? What I've, I, you know, the Reddit says that it was because I attempted to monetize the community. Um, and so it's part, you know, so I'm, I'm suing them because, uh, oh yeah, I, 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 I will I will share as much as I'm able to without really jeopardizing the the legal issue at heart. Most of these things are public knowledge, so people are able to go out there and read them, right? So you can see that the counts that I'm doing is breach of contract. One of the the, the arguments is that uh, the attempting to monetize is uh, uh, not a an actual infraction in their terms of service, and blah blah blah. But um, without going too many much into specifics. I attempted to take control of my own brand, the Wall Street Bets, which was flourishing all over the place. I'd written a book. Um, I was uh, in the process of launching this kind of a stock trading gamified competition. Um, and uh, and I submitted a, a trademark request. Like I filed to, to trademark the word Wall Street Bets. And all of my efforts to monetize or everybody else's were perfectly fine up until I submitted my trademark request. And then all of a sudden I get removed from the subreddit. Um, so at the time, you know, I'm kicking and screaming and, and I'm, you know, making assumptions as to why they removed me. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's taken me many years to be able to piece everything together. But, 
few months after I was removed, they never answered anything. They never gave me a chance to appeal their decision. They never explained their decision. Um, they just straight up removed me. They said, you broke the terms and you know, that's it. How were they notified of that? I mean, they're not, I don't know. You know, they're not a part of the, the, you know, um, copyright office. Like why would, I'm sure the copyright office didn't notify them. So they had to, have that's, gotten an, that's an excellent question. I don't know. Um, but it turns out that, uh, you know, after, after years of looking into this, you know, like the, a, a few months after the, so once you file for a trademark, one of the last steps before they're issued, you know, it's fully registered. They do this thing where they publish it for, uh, for any companies or, or individuals out there that want to oppose this brand, right? It's like the, the proverbial, if anyone opposes this couple, get married, speak now or forever hold your peace like that right. for trademarks. And so when, when we were on that step, Reddit spoke up and said, I oppose this thing. And it's, and, and this was, uh, pretty much shortly after I was removed and I've been in this opposition battle with them since I was removed. Right. And so to answer your question, I, I started doing more research and it turns out Reddit's been made, this has made a habit out of trademarking communities that are very successful. In other words, um, <clears throat> there's been countless examples of, of individuals that go to Reddit and say, I have a great idea. I'm going to make a community. For example, am I the asshole, right? That's the name of a, currently, I believe it's the most popular community on Reddit. Um, and people go on there and they just talk about their grievances or stuff. And, and it just exploded in the, in the past year and Reddit's like, oh, that's a really cool community. I like it. And just go to the trademark office and like, we'll go ahead and take that now. Thank you very much. And then they just register. Now it's their intellectual property. Is that, right? that part of their, is that a part of their terms and. Well, they're using lawyers to argue that they are because, you know, a lot of times people, this is what's crazy. It's like, you know, what, whenever I speak out and sometimes I have a lot of people that on the internet, you always have devil's advocates. And, and so people say, did you read the terms of service before you did these things? I said, to be honest with you, I actually did. And the terms of service says you get to keep your content. It's your content. You get to keep it. And then furthermore, it says whether you are uploading content that you've previously created or you're creating it using our services for the first time, you're granting us this license that's royalty free to host it and publish it, blah, blah, blah. Those are the words they used. Now I'm not a lawyer, but as a non-lawyer that actually takes the trouble to read the terms of service, which is already a lot to ask for, I think to myself, it sounds like, sounds to me like it's mine, right? Right. Uh, and so, so no, I, I don't know. And so now, now there's lawyers involved and now their lawyers are saying, no, 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 it's not what that means. Your content doesn't apply for your content or whatever. I don't know. Um, so it's just really confusing to me because it's like, hold on a second. So now I'm not, not only do you want me to read your terms of service, now you want me to freaking have a law degree to know that those words don't mean what they're supposed to mean like, um, but it doesn't matter. I mean, like to me, it's, it's this thing where I worked on this community for like a decade and I wrote a book on it, you know, and, and if they're saying like, oh, you're trying to take advantage of this moment to monetize this, this cash grab, it's, it's like, they're missing the point. I don't know if you've, if, if people have tried to write a book before, I, I'm not an author. I am not an English major. I'm an engineer. I like, English was my worst class, you know, in both in high school and in college. Like I despise it. Uh, but I wrote a book because I, because my, my, my passion for this subject, the ideas that I wanted to share with the world were, were stronger than my hatred towards writing stuff. And, and if you want to personally enrich yourself, writing a book is really not the most efficient way of telling it. There's, wow. there's a lot of easier ways to do it than to write a freaking book. Um, you know, it's something that I truly care about, like, like hardcore. And so then they just rip it apart from me, like, yeah, yeah, you, you can go over there now. Um, and, and they, they paint me as this like 
you know, opportunist cash grabber. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it sucks. Like it just sucks to have something that I love and I care about so deeply just get ripped apart from me. And then to further that they're, they're, they're then taking it away from me, preventing me from doing this elsewhere. In other words, by taking this trade that they've since filed, you know, further trademark applications for wall street bets of their own in such a way that if they win, I can no longer use that same brand. That's that sign that's behind me. That's kind of cut off. It says wall street bets. You know, if I want to create a forum on whatever new platform comes out next, they're going to be able to say, no, you can't anymore because that's Reddit's property, right? Like that's a huge freaking blow and that's wrong. And it's like a social media company that relies on content creators to come to a social media company to create content. Like they just don't get it. And, uh, so, so that, that's kind of where we're at. And I've been quiet. I've been silent about this battle for three years, mainly because I was hoping to find a friendly solution around this. I'm like, dude, I don't want to have to have a battle about this where everybody in the world, like, you know, has to find out we should be able to negotiate a, a mutually beneficial, uh, arrangement such that, yeah, such that it makes sense. And, uh, uh, you know, there, something happened this year that they're in a huge hurry to, to get this over with and they put me up against the, the wall and didn't give me any choice. And so I've finally decided to, to defend myself and, and, uh, went on the offensive. Yeah. It seems like it, it's, it seems like suddenly YouTube says that my channel is their channel. They own it and they own the name and they own, uh, you know, my website and, and everything else, even though I'm clearly the person that started the channel and have been working the channel this entire time. That's exactly right. And it's like, it's almost as if they kick you out and they get to keep your followers and they keep, get to keep publishing videos on your behalf. Right. Right. Like, you know, and then, and then they can use the argument in court that they says, well, I know that Matt Cox says this is Matt Cox's podcast, but it's really not his anymore because he can't control the contents of his podcast anymore because we kicked them out which is actually an argument that's, you know, being used. It's like, yeah, it's, I don't know. So it's, you know, like, here's the thing is like, so I use these arguments and these arguments are, are not logical to you and me. Unfortunately, you have the law and you have lawyers and they have these, these jargon and they'll talk about stuff that, that to me makes little sense. And so I just, you know, I, 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 I do, I do come out and I, and I speak out about these types of things. Um, uh, because it makes no sense, right? Like it, it's surprising to me that a, a social media company, Reddit, should understand social media like the way that every other company does. Like, yeah, the, the reason why YouTube doesn't have an incentive to do that is because YouTube makes money from you, right? Right? Uh, you make money from you. And so does YouTube. You guys both are happy with whatever arrangement you have with YouTube. If it wasn't because of you, and if if it because of because of YouTube, neither of you would be working this this thing out, right? Like, uh, if YouTube burns you like that, where they just run you away and they keep all of your stuff, then everyone's going to be like, "Yeah, no thanks. I'm think I'm going to go elsewhere now." And then YouTube's left with no more content creators that are going to their site with great ideas. Right. And then, and that's game over. Um, I don't understand how Reddit is justifying this maneuver and now they're doing so publicly and they're antagonizing me publicly, right? They're painting me. They're like, oh, this guy's just, you know, trying to come after us now because we're, you know, like for three years, he was perfectly quiet. And now he's just come out of the good Ford works. I'm like, really read it for three years. I was quiet for three years. You've been like drowning me with legal. I'm like, please for three years. I've been trying to be really quiet. And you're like, um, but whatever, uh, it doesn't matter because at this point, look, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking out, uh, in as much as I can, I'm fighting back. I'm not going to go down without a fight. Uh, you know, and, and I think that, 
what uh, yeah i you know my, my my property belongs to me i think Reddit needs to do the right thing and uh and i'm really confident that once once all the facts come out on the table that, that this was is uh yeah this this is so you're you're filing under what basically theft of intellectual property um it's the all the counts are on there it's not theft of intellectual property because i think that's it's all civil it's a trademark infringements breach of contract and a bunch of other ones like there um uh yeah people are able to if, if people go on my twitter like at wall street bets on twitter and they can scroll down a little bit they can see the full text of the the thing but essentially i'm suing them for having me removed me from the the subreddit under false pretenses by not removing me correctly from the subreddit from having trying to take away my my trademark and from actually infringing on my trademark in addition to a few other accounts right okay and you have a law firm you're yeah okay i was gonna say you know oh i mean listen i i was in federal prison i fought a uh i sued warner brothers i sued ie entertainment i sued for for theft of uh, of a a story that I wrote that was um, it, anyway it ended up being a, a it was a lawsuit between me and um, the guys that made War Dogs, which I believe okay. uh, was Rat Pack. Um, I they stole it, was, it from you. I, I think. Well, it, it was it was really Ephraim Devaroli, the guy in the movie War Dogs. Uh-huh. The main character is a guy named uh, Ephraim Devaroli. Well, it's. David Packhouse and Ephraim Devaroli. Devaroli is played by uh, Jonah Hill. I I was in prison with the real Ephraim Devaroli, and I wrote his memoir. Okay. When he got out, Warner Brothers got a hold of the memoir, and according to Devaroli, they used it to help write the movie War Dogs. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I do know that when I I then sued had I sued him and I sued Warner Brothers because he also sued Warner Brothers. But he didn't include me in the lawsuit. So he took my property. He took the memoir I wrote. He left prison with it, published it, and then sued Warner Brothers saying they had stolen parts of the story. And so there was a lawsuit and that I wasn't included. And he just kind of forgot about me because I was still in prison. So I had to sue him. I had to sue Warner Brothers. Um, and then I, I ended up getting out of uh, um, getting out of uh, federal prison. And then we ended up settling the lawsuit. But but so I, so I mean, yeah, you think I didn't have a lawyer at that time. We were doing it inside of prison ourselves as inmates. And it, this went on for year for years. Yeah. You know, so I know, plus of course, I also fought my own case. You know, I, I got a, a sentence of 26 years and I got it cut twice. I got 12 years knocked off and I ended up doing 13. So, I mean, I know going back and forth with, with just in the legal system, criminal and civil is, is horrible. It's, you know, and I was doing it from a, a prison. Like we're, we're literally using 30 year old Swin tech typewriters to type up motions. And we're dealing with law firms that have hundreds of lawyers working for them. And it's just me and a couple of inmates and it, it, you know, went off forever. It's, it's extremely frustrating. So I was going to say, but you know, luckily you, you have a, a whole, I, I do. I do have, uh, I have a wonderful law firm and, uh, wonderful lawyers. And I'm really thankful for them because they have, uh, a tremendous dedication for this cause. And they've had success in this type of, uh, cases going up against social media companies. And, um, uh, but yeah, but, but, but I definitely sympathize with the, the legal system, right? It's just this, for people that are non-lawyers, it's, it's frustrating, right? Like, you know, I I think I can be thankful for its existence. It allows, it it allows for, for people to seek justice or seek an arbiter or seek some type of, uh, uh, resolution, resolution. Exactly. Or at least I had got a fair shot at it in, in whatever, way that that's possible right like it's, it's easy to be able to say well it's not fair because whatever but it's it's better than than it could be and so um so i'm very thankful to have all that there and then it, even though it's easy to complain about the processes uh or or various aspects of it i'm i'm i find myself being a lot more thankful 
for its existence uh, than I am uh, frustrated with whatever idiosyncratic components of it that, that, that exists. Right. Yeah, it could it could definitely be worse. Uh, but I, I, you know, the the problem is it's extremely frustrating. It takes a ton of time. And, and and in the end, a lot of times, the, what's very clear, you know, in the actual statutes, they just don't go by. And, and the lawyers are so they're so crafty; they're able to twist an argument in a way that's almost hard to follow. And, and so, I mean, it's 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 difficult. Like it's a it's a you know, people say that you know, a legal battle. It's a battle. I mean, it's it goes on and on and on, and it you know, and it, sometimes it's just a war of attrition. Like there's just wear you down you know uh that was certainly the case with uh the the ones i've been involved with and it's the same thing though isn't it it's the same it's it's uh you know they're goliath you know and you're it is you know so it is it is but it's like in my nature right like they they most definitely are goliath they've been valued at a 10 billion dollar company and they have more lawyers, more resources, more money, more. They have more everything than I do, like, right? You know, and, and to some extent, they get to go home at five o'clock and just be like, "How was your day at work?" Like, good, you know. I worked on, you know, like filed for a new trademark. I did this thing. I got, you know, up against this guy for Wall Street bet. You know, like I'm just like this kind of like a checklist, right? And they could just turn that off. And for me, crush a couple of passion. I don't turn it off. It's like what I live for and I love and I, it's my passion. And so it's both good and bad, right? Because you're right. It does, it does, uh, it can weigh me down some more, but it's also something that I care about more, right? Like they, they can, and they have, they've already, you know, since I've been working with them for years, I've already like, the. Uh, worked with various different lawyers. They've shifted law firms, right? Like I started working with one guy and he left for another different law firm. I'm like, all right, now you work on this person. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. And catch up to speed, I guess. Like, welcome to your new job. This is what we've been working on, right? Like it's just a job for a lot of them and it's this entity. And so it's, it's that makes them more resilient, but it also makes them less passionate about what they're doing. So I suppose I, I have that that working for me. So I just got to pace myself and look, I, to, to be honest with you, I'm focused on all the stuff that I love, which is to continue creating. Uh, and I do continue to create, I'm working on all sorts of different projects that I'll be announcing here the couple, in the coming months, which all revolve around the same stuff. Right. And it's, uh, continuing to, to push the, the envelope to, to create fun, accessible, controversial, just, uh, accessible ways of, of, uh, uh, bringing together finance and retail in a, a, a yeah, in a f- fun, quasi-educational, productive manner. So it's, it's it's what I'm actually passionate about, and that's my my uh, yeah, that's 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 been my drive always. So as long as I'm able to get some of that every day in, then I'm I'm I can go on forever. Okay. Anything you want to mention that you're working on or no? Yes. Uh, no, I'd like the one that, the one that's already, well, yeah, no, I have, I'm going to save all the ones that, that are in the back for the contractual counterparty. Get. But I know that there's stuff like, like the only one that I, that I can safely mention right now is that the, the, like touched on earlier, the, uh, the new Americans, this is the movie that's premiering in South by Southwest, uh, on on monday march 13th i don't know when this podcast will be airing so um so, so that'll be exciting but the, but the other projects will be will be announced by the counterparty so I'm, I'm working a lot of these projects i work with big companies to, to launch them so most of the time i let them do the launch since they specialize in that and i right. will give them a lot the of hundreds don't even want you to talk about it like you know I prefer they do it anyways because they'll do a better job than I can. Hey, you guys, I appreciate you watching the video. Do me a favor. If you liked it or you like my content, uh, subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Leave me a comment in the comment section. I respond to, I don't know, at least 50% at this point. Uh, Also, I've got plenty of, uh, uh, I've got a bunch of true crime books that I've written. And so check out the, uh, check out my true crime books. Using forgeries and bogus identities, Matthew B. Cox, one of the most ingenious con men in history, 
built America's biggest banks out of millions. Despite numerous encounters with bank security, state, and federal authorities, Cox narrowly and quite luckily avoided capture for years. Eventually, he topped the U.S. Secret Service's most wanted list and led the U.S. Marshals, FBI, and Secret Service on a three-year chase while jet-setting around the world with his attractive female accomplices. Cox has been declared one of the most prolific mortgage fraud con artists of all time by CNBC's American Greed. Bloomberg Businessweek called him the mortgage industry's worst nightmare, while Dateline NBC described Cox as a gifted forger and silver-tongued liar. Playboy magazine proclaimed his scam was real estate fraud, and he was the best. Shark in the Housing Pool is Cox's exhilarating first-person account of his stranger-than-fiction story. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Bent is the story of John J. Boziak's phenomenal life of crime. Inked from head to toe, with an addiction to strippers and fast Cadillacs, Boziak was not your typical computer geek. He was, however, one of the most cunning scammers, counterfeiters, identity thieves, and escape artists alive, and a major thorn in the side of the U.S. Secret Service as they fought a war on cybercrime. With a savant-like ability to circumvent banking security and stay one step ahead of law enforcement, Boziak made millions of dollars in the international cyber underworld with the help of the Chinese and the Russians. Then, leaving nothing but a John Doe warrant and a cleaned-out bank account in his wake, he vanished. Boziak's stranger-than-fiction tale of ingenious scams and impossible escapes, of brazen run-ins with the law and secret desires to straighten out and settle down, makes his story a true crime con game that will keep you guessing. Bent, how a homeless teen became one of the cybercrime industry's most prolific counterfeiters. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Buried by the U.S. government and ignored by the national media, this is the story they don't want you to know. When Frank Amadeo met with President George W. Bush at the White House to discuss NATO operations in Afghanistan, no one knew that he'd already embezzled nearly $200 million from the federal government, money he intended to use to bankroll his plan to take over the world. From Amadeo's global headquarters in the shadow of Florida's Disney World, with a nearly inexhaustible supply of the Internal Revenue Service's funds, Amadeo acquired multiple businesses, amassing a mega conglomerate. Driven by his delusions of world conquest, he negotiated the purchase of a squadron of American fighter jets and the controlling interest in a former Soviet ICBM factory. He began working to build the largest private militia on the planet, over one million Africans strong. Simultaneously, Amadeo hired an international black ops force to orchestrate a coup in the Congo while plotting to take over several small Eastern European countries. The most disturbing part of it all is, had the U.S. government not thwarted his plans, he might have just pulled it off. It's insanity. The bizarre, true story of a bipolar megalomaniac's insane plan for total world domination. Available now on Amazon and Audible. Pierre Rossini, in the 1990s, was a 20-something-year-old Los Angeles-based drug trafficker of ecstasy and ice. He and his associates drove luxury European supercars, lived in Beverly Hills penthouses, and dated Playboy models while dodging federal indictments. Then, two FBI officers with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force entered the picture. Dirty agents willing to fix cases and identify informants. Suddenly, two of Rossini's associates, confidential informants working with federal law enforcement, were murdered. Everyone pointed to Rossini. As his co-defendants prepared for trial, U.S. Attorney Robert Mueller sat down to debrief Rossini at Leavenworth Penitentiary, and another story emerged. A tale of FBI corruption and complicity in murder. You see, Pierre Rossini knew something that no one else knew. The truth. And Robert Mueller and the federal government have been covering it up to this very day. Devil Exposed. A twisted tale of drug trafficking, corruption, and murder in the City of Angels. Available on Amazon and Audible. 
Bailout is a psychological true crime thriller that pits a narcissistic conman against an egotistical pathological liar. Marcus Shrinker, the money manager who attempted to fake his own death during the 2008 financial crisis, is about to be released from prison and he's ready to talk. He's ready to tell you the story no one's heard. Shrinker sits down with true crime writer Matthew B. Cox, a fellow inmate serving time for bank fraud. Shrinker lays out the details. The disgruntled clients who persecuted him for unanticipated market losses, the affair that ruined his marriage, and the treachery of his scorned wife, the woman who framed him for securities fraud, leaving him no choice but to make a bogus distress call and plunge from his multi-million dollar private aircraft in the dead of night. The $11.1 million in life insurance, the missing $1.5 million in gold. The fact is, Shrinker wants you to think he's innocent. The problem is, Cox knows Shrinker's a pathological liar and his story's a fabrication. As Cox subtly coaxes, cajoles, and yes, cons Shrinker into revealing his deceptions, his stranger-than-fiction life of lies slowly unravels. This is the story Shrinker didn't want you to know. Bailout, The Life and Lies of Marcus Shrinker. Available now on Barnes & Noble, Etsy, and Audible. Matthew B. Cox is a con man, incarcerated in the Federal Bureau of Prisons for a variety of bank fraud-related scams. Despite not having a drug problem, Cox inexplicably ends up in the prison's residential drug abuse program, known as RDAP, a drug program in name only. RDAP is an invasive behavior modification therapy, specifically designed to correct the cognitive thinking errors associated with criminal behavior. The Program is a non-fiction dark comedy which chronicles Cox's side-splitting journey. This first-person account is a fascinating glimpse at the survivor-like atmosphere inside of the government-sponsored rehabilitation unit. While navigating the treachery of his backstabbing peers, Cox simultaneously manipulates prison policies and the bumbling staff every step of the way. The Program. How a con man survived the Federal Bureau of Prisons' cult of RDAP. Available now on Amazon and Audible. If you saw anything you like, links to all the books are in the description box.